Welcome to Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. I'm Tony Connolly. Thanks so much for tuning in. There is a lot going on in the state of Michigan or that the state of Michigan could be involved in, especially when it comes to the UAW strike. And none better to talk about how that could affect the economy here in Michigan and around the country than to talk with Patrick Anderson, who's the owner and principal of the Anderson Economic Group. Patrick, how are you, sir? I'm doing all right. How are you? I'm doing very well. I know that the Anderson Economic Group recently put together some information in regards to what this strike is going to cause in regards to the state of Michigan as well as the country. Have at it, if you will. We've been watching this carefully as we have the auto industry in general and and past events of this type. Our estimate of the cost of the first two weeks of the strike, $3.6 billion. And a lot of that right here in Michigan, in fact, the biggest single chunk in Michigan, the next biggest chunk in Ohio and Indiana, and definitely something that's costing a lot of money. Let's just take off some of what we're talking about. First, lost wages. Starts with lost wages by the striking workers, but also lost wages at suppliers and others who didn't go on strike but are laid off by the OEMs because they can't run the plants. Next, you have supplier losses. Suppliers are the biggest single chunk of the losses we estimate here. We've been estimating how much of the lost wages and lost earnings from these suppliers were adding up, and that is in there at over a billion dollars for the first two weeks. That's corroborated now by the supplier association saying that over 30% of their members have already laid workers off. So it's definitely a big, serious concern. Some related industries also hurting, although we're focusing mostly on the direct auto impact. And then finally, some losses among dealers and consumers, particularly because the UAW struck parts distribution plants for General Motors and Stellantis, and that means You already have dealers that are having trouble getting parts, repair shops. That affects their business, and it affects their customers, too. So you add that up, it's well over $3 billion for the first two weeks, and we just finished a third week. Do you see this ending anytime soon? And what I'm trying to figure out, what I get a lot of questions about is some of the things that the UAW is asking for is a 32-hour work week, 40% raise in pay as well as some other items. Is that a negotiating tool just to kind of get more than they're currently getting, or is that a firm number they're standing at? This is a strike. It is, to some degree, a battle between the labor and management sides here, and we're very careful to not come in and pick sides or give people numbers that they should choose. Sure. It is something that we can identify, though, in terms of what are important issues and what are likely things that automakers can pay, that workers are going to expect. Let's start with wages. We identified before this started that these workers had suffered under inflation that was not their fault, just like everyone else here. None of us created inflation. Unless you're in Washington, D.C., or you work for the federal government and you're hearing this, you are not responsible for inflation. That is a government-created problem. And so we expect it the union to ask for significant wage increases, and we expected the automakers to agree to pay significant wage increases. That is clearly the case. There's 20% wage increases that are have been offered and been on the table for over a week. 
I think all plausible resolutions here are 20% plus wage increases. The other issues though, are much stickier. And those are the ones that as you can understand by listening to actually the UAW president's announcement on Friday here, you know, those are the ones that are really sticking points for the UAW and for the automakers. I know that the UAW is also fearful of losing jobs in the transition to EVs. And I know you don't want to get political, but I find this somewhat interesting in the fact that these loss of jobs are being forced on the automakers from supposedly union Joe Biden, our president, who supports unions. So that seems to be an oxymoron in thought there. Before the strike happened, the Anderson Economic Group assessment of the industry and of the EV transition underlined the serious risk to the industry here. Way back in the spring, we'd written about the fact that sales for EVs were not keeping up with what projections were. Inventories are going up. We were concentrating the EV sales in the luxury segment. And then meanwhile, these automakers had huge investments in these plants. And a lot of these plants weren't paying even industry average wages, let alone UAW wages. So this was an issue we identified back in the spring was a serious one. It's really a wild card. We've never faced it in the industry before. And I'm not surprised today that it's emerged to be a front burner issue. When we come back from break, I want to talk to you a little bit more about the EV challenge as well as AI when it comes to union jobs. We'll do that next. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. Sinair has been advancing communities and providing opportunities for people in Michigan for more than 25 years. Through lending, investments, and the creation of homes and jobs, Sinair has made a combined $7 billion impact on the communities they serve. Learn more at www.sinair.com. Welcome back to Media Business. We're talking with Patrick Anderson from the Anderson Economic Group. Patrick, we were just talking about the EV challenge for the automakers here in the United States. And you got to think that AI is going to affect that also and affect some of those jobs. It's interesting that the notion of automation itself, of robots, it sounds like a very 90s or 80s issue. Now, in fact, a lot of the manufacturing components have been done with robots now for a generation. And all the assembly plants have substantial use of what people used to call robots, you know, machines, numerically controlled machines. And there are software designers and operators and other people that are doing that and designers and builders and support people. So we've already seen, you know, I won't say all, but We've seen a lot of that that has occurred before now. The serious production issue involves, as we were talking about before the break, electric vehicles. These products rely heavily batteries and battery components that are largely sourced outside the United States. So it's not true that they have no moving parts 
they have all the moving parts that most cars do, except in the drivetrain where there's a difference. They have tires, they have suspension, they have lots of things that need to be constructed. And it's sometimes said, oh, you know, it's easy to make them. No, it's not. It's very hard to make an electric vehicle. And that's one of the reasons they're so costly. But the way they've been produced thus far in the United States or for sale in the United States involves much less labor here and value added in the United States. And the UAW is right to make this a significant issue. I think it's a significant issue for Michigan and for the country because right now we have a very strong ability to manufacture vehicles of all types using American technology, American raw materials, American labor, skilled labor, all kinds of things and we can build them here. We import some parts and export and that's fine, but we have a lot of independence on that. The risks involving the battery electric vehicle supply chain though are much larger for the United States. And I think it's an issue for taxpayers, for the country, for the automakers and the UAW. Patrick, the research I've done, everywhere I look for information in regards to having the infrastructure for the EVs, the charging stations, the total infrastructure, we're not there yet. The government doesn't seem to understand or care Neither do the many groups that push this. What's the data tell you? Am I right or wrong? What do you think? Well, my electric vehicle's right out there. I had one for three years. Mm -hmm. And so three years ago, I had the road trip experience that Jim Farley had earlier this year. (laughs) I mean, literally, we had almost the same experience. We took an almost brand new vehicle in a state we were comfortable with in summer weather and had problem after problem with the charging and the difficulty. You know, there's gonna be adaption problems and I'm not gonna say that the fact that I had trouble three years ago means no one should buy an EV. If you wanna buy an EV, by all means do it, if it's right for you. But it is definitely the case that electric vehicles require an infrastructure that's not properly developed. They also right now are more costly to buy And as the Anderson Economic Group fueling cost surveys show, for a lot of vehicle buyers, they don't save them money in terms of the actual cost of driving because you have to count the cost of commercial charging, not just home charging. You have to count taxes, extra EV taxes that you pay in lieu of the gas tax at the pump. You have to buy additional chargers. When you add those up, and I'd encourage anybody considering it, look at our website, look at the most recent release. And you're probably not saving much money, especially if you're in the mid-sized, mid-class or the entry level. You might save a little bit money if you're considering a luxury car versus a luxury EV. So I understand why people like them. I have one and we don't tell people what kind of car to buy. We let them choose them for themselves. But absolutely, there are problems in the transition. And absolutely, a lot of what's driving this is government pressure. Patrick, what's the data tell you in regards to this strike? Do you think we'll get deep in the fourth quarter before it's over? Well, we're going to get into the fourth quarter because, Mr. Conley, we are in the fourth quarter right now. Mm -hmm. It started in October, so we're already there. Mm -hmm. And even in a plausible settlement, let's say all three settle next week, you've still cost billions of dollars. And particularly, a lot of that cost is in... Michigan, Ohio, Indiana, 
It's also in places like Kansas and Missouri. And now it's spread around dealers and suppliers throughout the Midwest. So there's a cost. What I'm mostly concerned about, and I've said this since beforehand, since back in August, the goal here isn't to avoid a strike or just get everybody back to work. Mm-hmm. On this, you know, I agree with Sean Fain and with General Motors. Is you need a contract where the workers feel they've been paid properly and where the industry can sell product and make money even in a downturn. Remember, it's Michigan, it's the auto industry, and guess what? There will be a recession coming and we need to get through it. When we come back from break, I wanna talk about that, Patrick, what we're gonna see in regards to this recession. We'll do that next. I'm Tony Conley, this is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network. The attorneys of Foster Swift, Collins & Smith offer legal counsel to businesses, families, individuals, and municipalities throughout Michigan with offices in Lansing, Farmington Hills, Grand Rapids, Detroit, Marquette, and Holland. Clients know they can count on Foster Swift for all their legal needs, from straightforward wills to sophisticated business transactions and complex litigation. Learn more about Foster Swift and how they can assist you at fosterswift.com. This is Media Business. We're talking with Patrick Anderson in our last segment here from the Anderson Economic Group. And you went ahead and did it, Patrick. You said the R word. It's not a four-letter word, but recession scares a lot of people. You said it's coming. When's it coming and what kind of damage is it going to do? And more importantly, who's going to suffer the most from that damage? Let's take that in reverse order. Who's going to suffer the most? Generally, people who are on the edge of employment, who are close to the edge in terms of paying their bills, who may or may not be qualified for a job or having difficulty getting one, small businesses that have to operate on thin margins. These are the companies and the people that are always at risk in a recession. And in Michigan, you have to remember, our anchor industry builds and sells cars that cost a lot of money. And The first thing people often do when they're concerned about their own financial future, they're concerned about a recession, is they stop buying cars. So nothing has changed in that. Cars have become more expensive, which is a concern that we have also. We've got typical transaction prices at $48,000. It's just outrageous. And people are quite willing to forego buying a new car if they're concerned about their job next month or next year. So we are vulnerable to a recession. When will it occur? You know, I'm an economic professional. I have as much information as anybody. Got a pretty good track record of talking about it. In fact, we were out there telling people in 2020 that we would have depression level unemployment because of the government shutdowns. We did. We had the most severe unemployment literally since the Great Depression in 2020 when the government forced businesses to shut down. We identified inflation and the potential of a recession that we to some degree technically had quite recently, but hasn't been officially defined as one. But I don't claim I know when the next recession is gonna come. I don't know. 
I just know one will come. It has always come. We have an economy that's cyclical, and we in Michigan are pro-cyclical. We are going to get hurt the most in a recession. Patrick, how's the world economy? I'm actually more worried about the U.S. economy, and the U.S. economy is the anchor of much of the world economy. I saw something the other day saying China was the biggest economy. No, it's not. It's only the biggest economy if you're willing to take data that you shouldn't trust and multiply it by something. Mm -hmm. And so the U.S. is the biggest economy in the world. And we produce, in fact, we produce right here in the Midwest and in Michigan, some of the most valuable goods and services in the world. I want us to continue to do that. I want us to continue to have the jobs and the wages and other things that we can. But we got some work to do here in Michigan because we haven't been keeping up with some of our competitors. And we have serious issues in the auto industry that we need to deal with in the strike here that DOAW is called, is raising a lot of the issues. And at least now, some of these things are on the front page of the newspaper and being at least addressed. So taxpayers are getting a chance to think about it, which was not the case a couple of years ago. Patrick, I feel like you and your industry face the same challenge I face in my industry from the aspect of, as a journalist, I'm hoping people cannot tell if I'm liberal or conservative or moderate. Yeah. I would think that economists, the information is the information and that you being liberal or moderate or conservative wouldn't dictate how you perceive this information. What's your thought on that? Well, a lot of what we do, we do straight forward without any obvious, you know, ideological association. Let me just point out for this estimating the cost of the strike. I'm not sure what the conservative, you know, like the Democratic Republican view of how to add these costs up are. I do know we have had people criticize us, let me say from a socialist perspective, that any adding up of the costs means that we're, you know, I don't know, trying to protect the wealthy. We're not. If we fail to add them up, what we're doing is underestimating the pain that working class people, yeah. union members, and others that are affected by layoffs and strikes pay. I guess what I'm trying to say is the economists that work in the Biden administration seem to look at the information differently than, say, they did with the Trump administration and to the Bush and to the Obama. And I just wonder, how can that be? The information is the information. Yeah, that's unfortunate. I've seen some folks that people that are clearly very knowledgeable, but once they become part of a government, they say things that are hard to, you know, comments with reality. Let's just go up with the top one with the Secretary of Treasury who's a very talented economist, joined the Biden administration and said, inflation is transitory. <laughs> I mean, everybody knew that inflation was not transitory. But that was still repeated in the White House, at the Treasury Department, and unfortunately, even at the Fed for months and months and months, I think over a year. And that was ridiculous. Final question for you, Patrick. What can we in the media do to get out the information, the accurate information, not only about the strike, but about the economy and how they should be preparing for that? How can we be better? I think you're doing a good job by talking about this and getting the Anderson Economic Group independent analyses of the strike. 
out there and making sure that you're thinking about everyone who's affected. When there's a strike, it starts with the workers. They lose wages, but also the small businesses that are building the parks, they lose wages too. When you get people that are willing to count up the costs and benefits across everything, then you're usually learning what you need to learn. Unfortunately, when you hear some of the stuff that's associated with advocacy groups, where it's just like, it's part of our agenda, that's what we want, it's the only way, and if we don't do that, the world will fall apart, then you're, you know, even if I agree with their agenda, I just don't think that that's a fair way to present things, and that's not how we do it. We've been talking with Patrick Anderson, who is the founder, the principal, the owner of the Anderson Economic Group. You can follow them on Facebook, on LinkedIn, as well as Twitter now called X. I would encourage you to do that as who knows what the next few quarters hold in store for us. Patrick, as always, sir, I appreciate your time and your expertise. Thank you, sir. All right. Take care, Mr. Conley. I'm Tony Conley. This is Media Business on the Michigan Business Network.